The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Today I'm announcing that the largest ever release from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help provide a supply we need as we recover from this pandemic. The White House dips into its oil reserves for the first time in a decade with over 50 million barrels set for release as President Biden looks to cool price pressures. Germany's new look government is expected to be unveiled today after a sticking point over who would lead the German central bank. Uh, volatility in the Turkish lira continues after a massive sell-off sends it to historic lows. Currently down, as you can see, 1.6% versus the greenback. Inflation in Turkey near 20%. The president, Mr. Erdogan, vows to get victory in his economic war of independence. And the EU's antitrust commissioner greenlights provisions in the Digital Markets Act, paving the way for tighter restrictions on big tech. So, a very warm welcome to the programme, everybody. Uh, nice to see you in the office, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know I've had technical difficulties, but you brought it I up know. straight away at the top of the show. I know. I thought I'd go there. Just, safe to say... Just to entertain the crew. Safe to say she is yeah. purring beautifully now up the A22. Yes. And uh, how's your car doing? <laughs> uh, the, uh, we, we better get on with the show anyway. Right, uh, I'm this enjoying is, this even this more. Is, this is not the two Ronnies. Uh, the, the US <laughs> has joined China, India, Japan, South Korea, and the UK in a coordinated release of oil reserves to bring down spiking gasoline prices. President Joe Biden said on Tuesday the US would release 50 million barrels of government stockpiles in coming weeks, but analysts have questioned whether the government releases are significant enough to impact prices. Goldman Sachs saying it's just a drop in the ocean worth less than $2 a barrel. Well, President Biden said the action would not solve the issue overnight, but promised consumers would eventually see a difference at the pumps. It will take time, but before long, you should see the price of gas drop where you fill up your tank. And in the longer term, we will reduce our reliance on oil as we shift to clean energy. But right now, I will do what needs to be done to reduce the price you pay at the pump. I love your, your, your read there. It said about analysts yeah. questioning. Well, one or two journalists who've been around the blocks as well might have been questioning before he did this as well. Yeah. Uh, dare I say, uh, I might have been one of them as well because this, this was classic yesterday. So as you know, I spent far too much time looking at the oil price as well. Uh, but one thing I noticed, there was a significant amount of weakness before this announcement, i.e., oh my goodness me, the consuming nations, despite the fact that I'd mentioned earlier in the week, that actually the OECD levels, the, the benchmark that the producers and consumers use to see where we are, is the five-year average. And we are well below the amount of reserves that we have on a global basis on the OECD, i.e. the consuming nations, already. So there isn't a lot of firepower here. As as indeed the president should know, as indeed other OECD nations know as well, in order to change prices. So I was spending way too much time looking at the oil price, but I was looking at it when it was there before the announcement, yeah? So we knew the announcement was coming. The price was trading 78 handle, maybe 79, so 78, 77 on Brent as well. And what happened on the announcement? 
Uh, we've rallied uh, three and a half bucks. Well, that worked out really well, didn't it, as well? Uh, and, and as the analyst at Goldman said, drop in the ocean. It is. Let me just, just put it in context. I, I've seen different levels, by the way. We're talking 50 million barrels from the SPR. I've seen others talking about 30, 35 million barrels. It is less than a half day's global consumption, or about a day's global consumption at the top end as well. Uh, and, and as a, a wise man once said to me, I think it might have been you before the show, mm. uh, if the OECD puts more barrels on the table, it's so easy for the producing nations to take off the equivalent 50 million or the five. I mean, for the Indians to put five million extra on the table as well, they haven't got it spare. It's one of the biggest consuming nations on the planet as well. So. I'm afraid in my head I have the word tokenism or, 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 or responding to populism or appearing to be beneficent before Thanksgiving. The fact of the matter is they don't have the power at the moment because their reserves are so low. And Mats Rui uh, and, and um, uh, all the, 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 uh, His Excellency Abdulaziz bin Salman, he knows it. Uh, and Novak of Russia, he knows it. Everyone knows it. Go on the gasoline price on the back of it. Let's have a look. There we go. So, uh, well, th these are gasoline prices, but they're not what you pay if you're in San Francisco. It, always Oakland is one of those places where you get the highest levels in the country, of course. In Mississippi, Texas, um, Louisiana, you get the lower prices, well, nearer to the source of production. But you get the higher price in places like California as well. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, I doubt it's going to, well, I don't know, hopefully it will, but I don't know if it's going to make a huge dent uh, in the price. But Hadley... Hadley knows because she speaks to the same people I do. In fact, she speaks to more people than I do. She's just come back from Adipec as well. I mean, look, it could make a difference if it, if it was sustainable. But again, I've got a feeling it feels like one and done from the OECD, Hadley. Good morning to you. Good morning, guys. I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, it's not just about whether this is going to have a significant impact on prices. It's about whether or not this is going to have a significant impact on the politics. As I was driving down to Abu Dhabi this morning, I had the chance to catch up with the former U.S. Secretary of Energy, Dan Briette. You remember, he was one of the architects of the energy independence script from the Trump administration. I asked him to come on the program with Dan and I this morning. He was kind enough to do it. He essentially said that this is all about a political emergency for the president versus what it would actually mean for prices on down the line. Listen to what he had to say. Today's action is a, is a sign of uh, some concern about the 22 election. Uh, there's no question he's mentioned it several times, his energy secretary has mentioned it several times. Uh, the price of refined gasoline, retail gasoline here in the United States is a political concern for all of those who have to stand for election in 22 and as the president potentially in 24. Uh, so this is driving the decision uh, perhaps more than anything else, because as I said earlier, uh, it's not a supply emergency, and uh, the only emergency I can divine or see in this case is a political emergency. And of course, we've got this OPEC Plus meeting coming up in just a few days from now. It's their December meeting, right? Something we'd usually be sitting in Vienna in the freezing cold waiting on this one. Um, but there's also, of course, the bigger narrative here that this is a direct challenge to OPEC and its allies, right? And that the president is, is doing this as a last-ditch effort. There's also, of course, a bigger narrative, which is that it's a, quite a geopolitical coup in a sense that he was managing to get the Chinese, the Japanese, the South Koreans, and others on board with this. But does that mean, then, that this is going to be the more than a knee-jerk reaction? to when this happens? I mean, because inflation isn't going away. So beyond the price move or the slight price move that we saw in Asia trade earlier, one wonders if this is going to be part of the script, for example, for the administration going forward, whenever they're finding a disagreement or an impasse with OPEC plus, guys. 
but they're not the first person or first administration in the last four or five years uh, to threaten to use the SPR, are they, Jeff? Thanks, no, Hadley. Ab absolutely. I think back as early as 2019, I think President Trump was talking about it, um, but it didn't. he gave authorization, but it didn't actually happen. But I want to make a slightly different point, and it picks up from what Hadley was saying here. And Joe Biden is old enough to remember the 1970s. But unfortunately, he doesn't seem to remember the lessons of the 1970s when it came to inflation. Because what he's now introducing is effectively something that looks like a prices and incomes policy, which was the default for a lot of governments in the 1970s who thought the way that you addressed inflation was through intervening in the market, controlling prices of products, and ultimately uh, manipulating employment employment cost inflation. And he will rue the day that he went down this path because all of those things that we celebrate about the American economy, the freewheeling attitude, the free market, price discovery, all of those things will be torn up if we continue to go down a, yeah, a road yeah. where the government feels it can just intervene in the market and continue to set prices itself and starts a war with the oil sector over the difference between wholesale prices and retail prices because that's ultimately what Joe Biden is saying now. We've got to have an investigation into the oil companies because they're profiteering because of the difference between the wholesale price and the pump price, which actually is the profit for those businesses. Now, sometimes they make more, sometimes they make less. And let's face it, as a motorist, you don't always feel good about the fact that the prices at the pump seem to come down a lot more slowly than the wholesale price comes down. But at the end of the day, if you begin to intervene in a sector of the economy and insist on uh, price setting based on government mandate, then you are going down a very slippery path here, it seems to me, and one where investors begin to lose confidence in the underlying that they're buying because they know at any point a government can step in and start manipulating it. Isn't this the reason we've been asking, is China uninvestable, particularly around tech stocks, because of government interference? So, as you point out, there is, one, the illogic attitude that Biden has taken because the Saudis and others can just take supply off the market, which they seem to be indicating they're happy to do, and the other is the fact that you start intervening in the uh, wholesale market itself and then the retail market, you take us down a very dangerous path. Um, two other very quick things. I'll wait, we've got to move on, but two yeah. very quick things. One, um, was it only two weeks ago I was in Glasgow talking about subsidies for the consumer yeah. uh, from hydrocarbons and how the world needs to rid themselves of the trillions of dollars of subsidy support? Well, if there's any subsidy support with government intervention, I don't know what is. Uh, the, the second point is, what happened to shale? Do you know what? For most of the last 10 years, OPEC has underestimated Shell, and, and Shell has just been able to turn on the taps whenever they want to respond uh, to OPEC moves, and OPEC has mm. failed dismally at times because there has been Shell. There ain't no supply response from Shell at the moment, not meaningful enough to change things. So what's happened to the energy independence story that you, my American friends, fought so hard for, that you got so very excited about, uh, perhaps in the early years of the Trump administration? Where has that US or North American energy independence gone? Mm. Mm. Wow.
Let's move on. We weren't supposed to still be here. No, we're not. And well, I'm, when I'll, I say okay. we, I mean you. So and you I'll, can go. I'll leave right, you Okay, very quick look at the US markets. Um, interest rates picked up. Treasuries picked up. Uh, beg your pardon. Treasuries went down. Treasury yields picked up as well. Uh, and as such, the NASDAQ is the one that felt the pain. You know this knee-jerk reaction now. Growth stocks feel the pain more on interest rate change expectations at the moment. The S&P 500 was up. The Dow was up as well. We did see Nordstrom after hours. That wasn't very pretty, was it? And they were talking about labour costs. I'm sure they're just transitory. Everyone tells me they are. Uh, Russell 2000. The producers are very excited about the Russell 2000. So I will show you the Russell 2000. Uh, Three-month change is up 5.4%, but you will notice it is actually down uh, from its record highs. It's actually down around about 5% uh, from its record highs and uh, having uh, a few tough sessions there as well. I mentioned the Treasuries. I shall do so again. 163 on your 10-year paper. Uh, The five-year trading at 1.3. 30-year paper just under 2% there. And the dollar crosses as well. Well, the best dollar cross that we haven't got on here uh, is the Turkish lira, which I will get the producers to show you a little bit more often of this one because I think it's quite... Interesting, some might say exciting if you're in the foreign exchange market, some really big precipitous declines yesterday. Uh, is the lira going to find a footing today? Well, it started to and then it dissipated just before we came to air. Uh, 134 is where the uh, pound is traded. Let's have a look. They're, they're so sharp today. They're on it. Look at that. Uh, the dollar, which was down when John and I were looking at it before the show, he's one of the senior producers, you know, uh, was down a percent. It is now up 1.5% versus the lira. You can see that move there as well. Uh, Mr. Werden taking on... Um, Taking on the forex markets in a matter of, what is it? The independence of the economy. Well, with all due respect, sir, uh, if you want an independent economy, you can't borrow 57% of your debt from overseas funding in dollar denominated. Then you lose a little bit of your independence when you borrow in foreign currency. Don't worry, it's economics. Uh, Shanghai Composite up 0.3 of 1%. Uh, the Hang Seng up 7 tenths of 1%. Opening calls for the European markets look thus uh, higher across the board at the start of trading. So it is crunch time, Jeffrey, apparently. Uh, It is for Germany as we look to see the formation of a a new government. These coalition talks now set to give us an announcement today, we think, on the new government. We'll have the latest when we come back and a terrific podcast for you to catch up with. The US-led coordinated release of oil reserves is a chief topic and um, there's some good banter in there as well, I think. So, Squawk Box... (laughs) Uh, on the podcast. Go and have a listen. I think you'll enjoy. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Germany's Social Democrats, Greens and the FDP have reportedly agreed to phase out coal by 2030 as part of their upcoming coalition deal. Uh, This according to Reuters, citing sources familiar with the matter, the three parties have also pledged to end power generation from gas by the year 2040 and allow the production of blue hydrogen. The country's new government could also form a climate ministry to oversee energy policy. Negotiations between the SPD, the Greens and the FDP continue as the three leading parties hope to iron out final details before they announce their coalition deal.
Uh, Annette's on the ground in Berlin with more on how these negotiations are going. So we think an announcement today, Annette. Yes, exactly. So what I'm hearing is that we are getting an announcement during the course of the afternoon or perhaps a press conference in the afternoon where the new coalition contract will then be presented to the public. You've been outlining already the latest uh, news flow coming out of those negotiations, the coal exit and the gas exit. I think that makes it very interesting because that means as well that we need a huge amount of investments into hydrogen and renewables, especially hydrogen is the buzzword here among industry leaders because clearly it is a way to, uh, to power those high intensive uh, or high energy intensive industries such as the chemical industries uh, but also for example the steel industry. So there is a huge as I said a huge amount of money needed and the key question is where should it come from because we have been talking about it a lot that we have that uh, constitutional enshrined debt break. We can't just make a lot of more debt because that is against the law here in Germany. And with Christian Lindner from the Liberals being the next uh, finance minister, he will have a very uh, yeah, uh, sort of uh, thorough oversight about that or on that because he is against uh, breaking those rules and he's also against loosening uh, the debt break. One possibility could be to use the state-owned development bank KFW as a special purpose vehicle as a financing arm but that is something the bank also does not want so the key question is where should the money come from and that will be interesting to see whether they will actually answer that question already in the coalition contract or whether this is a wide open space and nobody has an answer to it so currently it looks like as I was saying and we have been reporting that as well of course Olaf Scholz is set as the Chancellor then we have Robert Habeck the co-leader of the Greens being the next economist economy minister and probably getting as well a super ministry that was at least rumored that the economy ministry will be built up also to include climate and uh, digital, uh, digital, uh, in, yeah, not industries, but digitalization. And then, of course, we have Christian Lindner at the helm of the finance ministry. That's an interesting one also because it's quite controversial, um, internationally, uh, whether his, um, yeah, whether the liberals will actually, uh, be pro-European or perhaps, uh, more or less, uh, yeah, hindering more European integration because clearly, what is awaited from Germany from the next government is that there will be a push into more integration, talking about the Capital Markets Union, for example, the Common Deposit Scheme. And this will be interesting to see whether Christian Lindner will be warming up to that idea to push more uh, responsibilities and more fiscal responsibilities also to the um, level in Brussels. So that's the mix here in Berlin. And on top of that comes the Corona crisis. We had a surprise uh, meeting yesterday here. Yeah, the Chancellor Angela Merkel, the outgoing Chancellor, were summoning um, the party leaders into the Chancellor to discuss the situation that there will need to be stricter rules in place here in Germany to avoid a um, um, uh, yeah, escalation of the situation in German hospitals. We are talking about triage in certain areas of the country already by now, and we are seeing record rates of infection every 
single day. But what we are also seeing now in Germany is long queues in front of the vaccination centers, something uh, which should have happened uh, probably in summer, but people are reluctant to get the vaccine, at least in parts of Germany, with the vaccination ratio still hovering at some 70 percent, and that's the problem, um, according to most scientists here. If we don't reach a level of 80 to 85 percent, Corona will most likely be um, yeah, staying around also for next year because it's spreading violently among the unvaccinated. Terrific, Annette. Thank you very much indeed for setting out the scene for us. Uh, Carsten Brzezewski joins us, Global Head of Macro at ING. Carsten, I think Annette has done a terrific job of raising a lot of the concerns that the markets have about further lockdowns because of COVID in Germany. What are the risks economically at this point? Well, the risks are that uh, at least the German economy could could end up in a stagnation, maybe even in, in a very small so-called technical recession. Because don't forget, we already have high energy prices weighing on, on private consumption. We have the German uh, industry suffering from supply chain frictions. And now on top of that, we have already the restrictions. We might even get stricter lockdowns. So this will clearly push the German economy at least at the brink of stagnation towards the end of this year. And it also means that we will probably have to wait then until springtime, uh, be it that the virus is over, be it that supply chain frictions start to be elevated or relieved. And um, so it will take really until springtime before the German economy takes up speed again. Um, Carsten, let me follow up and ask you about supply chain constraints and how much they are taking out of GDP at this stage. The BDI had an interesting report out in the last few days flagging just how pervasive and uh, stubborn these supply chain problems are for German industry. Well, probably had you asked me this two weeks ago, I would have said it is all about supply chain friction. Supply chain frictions are a much more pressing issue for the entire German economy than the virus is. Well, we're now currently, so I don't know really anymore because the virus is taking limelight and, and center stage again. Um, but what happened? We had two quarters, the second quarter and the third quarter this year, in which industrial production didn't grow at all. Despite the fact that uh, order books are richly filled, despite the fact that, that inventories have been really reduced to extremely low levels, they, they are empty. So normally this means uh, industrial production should start again, should be kickstart, but we are missing the input, we are missing the microchips, we are missing the containers coming out of Asia. So un unless and until these issues are solved, the German industry will clearly only run whatever at second gear, but will not be able to shift into a higher gear. Carsten, it's Annette in, 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 Frankf no, in Frankfurt, in Berlin, I'm sorry. Um, let us talk about gas as well and the um, constrained yeah, situation on the gas market and also what we're hearing from the coalition partners, that they're not pushing on opening Nord Stream 2. So what's your assessment here and how bad can it be and how much is, it, is that a problem for German companies? Well, I think in, in the short run, now we also had the news that there might not be licenses given for, for Nord Stream 2. So it clearly looks as if they are trying to delay for as long as possible. I think, you know, also legally, it will not be able to really, to really stop Nord Stream 2. 
Um, for companies, you know, this is the whole thing we're all waiting for. If we get this this coalition agreement, maybe already today, this afternoon, the question is, how will the energy transition look like in Germany? And uh, in the campaigns, we always heard it doesn't cost anything. Well, I don't think that this is true because the the, co the energy transition will mean higher energy prices one way or the other. And for German companies who are already facing one of the highest energy costs of all European um, countries, so this clearly is bad news and therefore a plan, and I hope we get this from the coalition agreement, a plan how the next government will yeah, orchestrate this energy transition is extremely important. Uh, let me ask you exactly about these investment needs, because clearly we've been hearing that from so many corporate CEOs that there needs to be a plan in place because they need to have energy security. At the same time, you have the debt break in place. So what's your opinion? How can we as a country, Germany, finance that huge transition in energy which we are facing? Well, I'm I'm, st I'm still betting on, on something like an investment fund. Um, so some off-budget vehicle, special purpose vehicle for the next four or five years in order to finance the um, the, the digitalization, the, uh, the the green transition, and, and the necessary needs to invest in infrastructure. Um, I think this would clearly be a way out. Um, but yeah, it will be very uh, interesting to see how this coalition will square all these interests, because just using the current budget, in my view, will not be enough. And this is the biggest risk that the, the coalition only agrees on. No changes to the debt break, no special purpose vehicle. If this is the case, then I think we will not get, despite all nice, beautiful words, we will not get this huge investment offensive that, that we need for the next years in Germany. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.